chatting with Nikki Philippi all about motherhood, YouTube, and surviving being canceled. All this and more on today's episode of the Classically Abby podcast. episode, make sure to subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts and head over to my Substack newsletter where you'll get access to a ton of exclusive content, including being able to submit questions for podcast episodes just like this. I'm so excited to have Nikki on the show. Hi. Hi, Abby. I am so excited to be here. I feel like this has been in the making for a while and I'm just very pumped to be here. Yes. I mean, we have been talking about doing something like this for a long time. So I'm so excited. I'm getting to introduce you to my subscribers. Let's get started with the first question. So you started YouTube 13 years ago. Mm. What made you want to start creating content? When did you start kind of getting followers? And how would you say that you've changed since you started? Mm. Oh my gosh. I have so many thoughts around that. So, so first off, yeah, like you said, I started 12 to 13 years ago and the internet was obviously a completely different place back then. It was much more unknown, like how this could even be anything. Um, honestly, it was just really exciting. When I was a little girl, I used to just make videos for fun and I would like show them to my family. And my mom would literally say, wow, it's just too bad you can't do this for a living. Like you really love this. So it was really wild to walk like into my teenage years and then into my young adult years and watch the internet and this whole world of like posting your own content and things that you made online come to life. Um, and I feel really blessed. Like this whole world of, you know, video making and podcasting and all of it is still obviously so new. And I really do, even though I've been here in the space for 13 years, almost in some ways, I still feel like I'm at the beginning of like this just exciting change in content creation. And I just, I love it. So that was kind of a side note, but I, yeah, 13 years, um, started posting videos online. I was one of those people that when I posted, I was really embarrassed to be doing it. So like, I didn't tell anyone, I didn't even tell my family. I don't think for, and I was filming in their house for like the first couple weeks. Maybe I didn't like share it with friends. I really wanted to see if anybody other than like my friends would care about my content. So I just posted on YouTube. It took me about six months to get the guts to actually do it. I actually kept uploading and then taking it down like 10 minutes later. This is dumb. I'm so embarrassed. And then finally in December of 2010, I was just like, I'm just going to put it up and I'm just going to leave it there. Like, I don't need to mess with it. I'll just see what happens. And kind of one thing led to the next where I just kept uploading, kept posting, kept talking to people. Um, to where like, I slowly started growing. Now in the beginning, it was pretty slow. I'd say for the first like six to eight months, maybe even a year. And then just like you and I connecting right now, I feel like connecting with other YouTubers is like the best way to get exposure. And that's pretty much what happened to me. I ended up becoming connected with a whole group of YouTubers out of Los Angeles. And that's really what started like forwarding my YouTube presence online because I was doing a bunch of collabs and started kind of upping my production quality and, you know, filming on things other than my laptop and my phone. And, um, it was just, it was a wild ride and it was even earlier, obviously back then. So it was quite the experience. I don't know which way to go. And, you know, I can talk 12 years, but that's kind of the, the simple answer is once I started collabing with other YouTubers, that's when things really started 
taking off and I started getting subscribers. Yeah. And so how would you say that you have changed since Mm. starting YouTube and kind of, you know, now you're doing a lot of content that's focused on motherhood and cooking and slow living. So what maybe is your mission now that it Mm. wasn't when you first started and and what do you want to share with your audience? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because my general mission is very similar to when I started of wanting to like encourage people to live the best life that they can live as corny as that sounds and be the best them. That's a better way to put it. Like really caring for themselves and going after the things that they love. That's kind of always been a part of my channel, but I've definitely changed a lot over the course online in the sense that like, I mean, even up until a couple of years ago, I didn't know if I, for example, this maybe sounds random, but not if you're a viewer of mine, I didn't know if I even wanted biological children for a long time. There were a lot of layers to that. Um, You know, some of them I think were, some of those feelings were being influenced. I've realized now looking back by culture, you know, when I first had my son, it like occurred to me, oh my gosh, this is why Satan or just evil people in the world don't want people to have babies because it's so, for me, it was so eye-opening. I mean, the first thing I blurted out was like, how can you not believe in God? Because it was so <laughs> shocking, Abby. Like I know, we all know where babies come from, right? But then for for me, at least, once I experienced it, it was a completely like just soul altering um, world changing experience. And so that kind of sounds weird. I'm referencing my son, but that's been a big pivot on my channel. You know, I love art and music and dance. And that had been a lot, Ooh, knocking my tea over. That had been a lot of my focus. (laughs) I had like a production company in LA and, and it still is to a degree, but my life has so recentered around, my family and my son and hopefully having more children that a lot of my content has pivoted towards that, towards this, um, like family content, but also just in terms of like a mission statement or like my goal, like you said, wanting to really just show, I don't even know how to word this, like the positive side, quote unquote, that's a weird way to word it, but like of motherhood and family life. No, I mean, we live in an era where motherhood is not always shown in a positive light because yes. it doesn't really go with the with the media narrative, with the cultural yeah. narrative. So it's important for us mothers to show, no, motherhood is amazing. Is it hard? Of course, absolutely. But in every moment, it's worth it. Yes. Yeah. And it's so interesting because there's some YouTubers that I follow that are more like on the left side of the political spectrum. And, you know, they've commented on the motherhood thing and they have like a different perspective. They feel like motherhood is like elevated in the mainstream media. And it's fascinating to hear them talk about this because I'm like, whoa, I had the exact opposite feeling. Like when I thought of being a mother, I really just thought like it was a worthwhile endeavor, like, okay, that's what we're supposed to do. But I just thought it was just nonstop hard. And that's kind of all like an undue sacrifice, like a burden that you're going to just constantly going to have to have on your shoulders that I guess we do because we want to be good people. But like at the end of the day, when you look at your child, you're thinking once you have a child and I was talking to my husband about this, Mm. it's such a weird thing because you can't you legitimately cannot describe what it's like to be a parent until no, you are you can't. one. <laughs> you can't. And it's so sad. It's like really a sad thing because yeah. people always say that to you. They're like, oh, it's different with your kid. And you're like, "Yeah, I don't get that. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't understand what you mean. And then you have your own child and you're like, oh, now I'm part of the club that gets that. Yes, <laughs> yes. it really is. And I don't know, man. It's It was 
I mean, once again, to say soul altering is like such a perfect way to put it because yes, everything you just said about looking out at the world and thinking, oh, this is just going to be nothing but hardship, honestly. And like, oh, I'm sure I'll love them. No, I had no idea that like right there with, yes, it is hard. It's difficult to be a parent, but literally people were not kidding right there at the same level or potentially infinitely more, honestly, is this deep like love and passion. I mean, you know, you understand, but I didn't, I didn't get that obviously. And, um, I get it. Well, on that topic, on that topic of you becoming a mom, uh, I feel like we have to talk about being pro-life because I think, have you always been openly pro-life or is that more of a recent thing? And would you say that motherhood has made you more pro-life or Mm. is it just kind of part and parcel of, of your views? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I've always been openly conservative online, but in a lot of ways, it's like I had like my own little corner of the internet in some ways, like people just didn't notice. I don't know. It's weird. So you can like search my name, ask Nikki, and you'll find all these videos from like a decade ago of me talking about, you know, sex within marriage and how that's the way I believe that God created it to be. Um, and so I talk about all these things. I'm pretty sure I talked about being pro-life. I uploaded like a thousand videos to that channel. And I was very open, literally I was very open with like just my worldview and my faith perspective. Um, but I have become more open in some of my, like on my main channel and the content that I put out, that's become a little more, um, I don't know, like I'll state my opinion a little more freely for a lot of different reasons that we may talk about in this interview, but it's definitely become more, on the forefront of what I talk about, but yeah, I always have been, I always have been pro-life. It's always made sense to me that a life is a life from the beginning. And if it's not a life from the beginning, obviously, I mean, you know, this has been talked over and over. It's like, well, then where, where is that line? Who's deciding that line? That's never the idea of like, oh no, now it's a life. And before it wasn't has never resonated with me. Um, and then I know that you and I share this in common. I had a miscarriage last year And that honestly just elevated those feelings even more. Um, I think I told you this, I miscarried my baby at home in our bathtub. And so getting to hold our baby in my hand um, and see that it was a baby was very, I mean, obviously it was devastating, but it was informative and, you know, once again, soul changing in the sense of like, wow, this is what's going on this is what's going on in my body. And I miscarried at 10 and a half weeks. So very early, but late enough to where I was, I was holding a little baby. Um, so actually uh, maybe a couple of months ago when I, I don't remember which outlet it did, I think it was the guardian. That's right. They put out that article um, saying like what a miscarriage or what a baby really looks like, or a fetus really looks like at 10 weeks. And I was so flabbergasted because I would have never known. I mean, I would have assumed they're wrong and they're lying, but I would have never known factually had I not miscarried that they're in fact completely lying. And so that's Mm -hmm. been on a side note, really weird to walk through in the last year to see the lengths to which the mainstream media are willing to go in order to call a baby a fetus and to disconnect people from those emotions. Absolutely. Sorry, that was all over the map. No, I loved it. I loved it, especially because, you know, I miscarried technically at 12 weeks, but it was a missed miscarriage. So it happened at 10 weeks, really. Um, And it was a similar experience for me where I knew I was pro-life before, 
but then having a miscarriage made me that much more so. Like I went from being, I always say this as a joke, people have heard me say it before, but I'll say it again because it's actually true, which is that before I had a miscarriage, I was like, okay, well, we'll have three kids and we're going to have it at this point and this point and this point and we'll just plan it all out. And then I had a miscarriage and I was like, I'm going to have 100 babies and I don't care when it happens. (laughs) Yeah, just completely opened your, was it, what is that the connection that made you go from like three babies to like, oh my God. I want a hundred. I feel like it's going over my head, even though that's so sweet. Yeah. Well, for me, it was that I, during my initial, my, my first pregnancy, I had taken for granted that things were going to be healthy and that, you know, being sick was, was annoying. And I was like frustrated that I had morning sickness. And so I went through that first trimester. I felt being sort of ungrateful while still being grateful. I was pregnant, but being Mm as most women are, uncomfortable enough to be yes. like, oh, I really wish I wasn't feeling this way. And yes. that's not to say that anyone shouldn't feel that way. It yeah. makes sense that you feel that way because it's really bad and uncomfortable. So but by the time I was in my second pregnancy, every day I woke up with morning sickness, oh. I was so grateful to God. I w- and the days that I didn't wake up with morning sickness, I was panicking. And it was oh. a huge mental shift for me to go from, you know, this is going to be kind of similar to what we're talking about, about motherhood. This mm. is going to be a, a burden on me. Pregnancy is going to be a burden yeah. anytime I go through it to however many times I go through pregnancy, it's a gift. However many babies I have, it's a gift it's because gift. I'm never going to take for granted that I'm able to carry to carry a child to term. Yes. Um, so that's how it, that's how it changed for me where I went from like, oh, I want a little bit more of like a, an organized, stable, my things going <laughs> to my plan yeah, and being yeah. like, you know what, whatever God's plan is, that's my plan. I yes. don't have, I don't have as much of a say in things as I want to have. And, and that's, oh. you know, on a total different note, but maybe something interesting we can talk about is I, um, that's why I'm not like when women think that they can get married later and later and have Mm. children later and later, Mm. I'm like, you don't know what's going to happen with your fertility. Like you just don't. Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) No, you saying all of that. I'm just sitting here going, oh my gosh, like nodding along because you worded like exactly how I felt after, after that second pregnancy. Um, I said to my husband, I was like, I almost feel like I took it for granted because I really was just caught. And, and it's not to take away, like, it really is hard when you're sick, you know, like you were saying that, oh man, it's hard. I was like on the floor and just like, so sad. And it was really hard. That was part of what made miscarrying hard, right? As you tell yourself, oh, I'm doing this and I'm going to get a baby afterwards. Right. Then to find out like, oh, you're not guaranteed a baby just because you deal with this. Um, is really, I mean, just like you said, like we're not in control and that can be a little hard for someone with me or your <laughs> personality type maybe to grapple with, um, yes, not to absolutely. make light of that, but it, it yeah. yeah, it's hard. No, Sorry, you, you, you made is. a segue comment and I forget what you said about women being married young. Oh, for Yeah, no, that's all I was going to say. Just your, right. I guess we could talk about that a little bit about your thoughts on on this, you know, push for women to mm-hmm. go, to really pursue careers before getting in place, you know, their marriage and having children and like focusing on that path to the detriment of getting married and then finding out about their fertility at a point at which fertility is more questionable. Because theoretically, if you get married at 
let's say 24, like I got married at 23 or 24, um, you have a little bit more time to like, oh, okay, I'm not, you know, conceiving and it's been a couple of years, but I'm only 26. So now I can take a little more time to figure it out as opposed to you get married at 35. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, I have two years to figure this out. I'm already into geriatric pregnancy zone. I'm already kind of not sure if this is going to work at all. And women being put in a position of struggling with that. So I guess I wanted to hear your thoughts on that concept. Yeah, it's really interesting because I have, I mean, just like everything, right, Abby? I have like 18 different thoughts around it. (laughs) First thing, to put it in perspective, I got married at 20 and my husband was 21. We were right on the cusp of like 21 and 22. Um, And I'm really, really grateful for that. Also, just to fill you guys in, I am 35 now. My husband is 36. So we have been married for 15 years together for like 17 years and it's wild the time flies and so on that note I want to just say first off um I think it's really sad that there has been such a shift in terms of like not only just for women but obviously for men like not encouraging people to partner up because there's something so beautiful about looking back now at my 20s my husband and I talk about this probably once every few months we're just like dude and I just got chills thinking about it we got to go through all of that together. And it's like such a gift that I have this like decade. I mean, well, 16 years, but thinking back on my twenties, this time where it's like all of those stories and those experiences and the businesses that we started and the places that we lived around the world, because we lived in Singapore and we lived in different States. And it's like, we did all of that together. And it's, I'm so grateful for the gift of have him first off, but having that time to be able to do that with him. And it, it makes me sad looking at people sometimes who feel like marriage is going to be, it's going to be pulling them down. Or like you said, this general cultural push, like put it off, don't tie yourself down. I'm like, oh man, I'm so grateful that I had him through that whole time. Now there's obviously things like not everybody meets the person that they want to spend their whole life with that young. Yes. So obviously there's those situations or In my situation, you know, this is another thing. I mean, I was talking to Dan about this last night. It's really weird for me because in some ways I feel like I was a little bit duped by culture in this other way in terms of children. Like I mentioned in the beginning, I spent a long time thinking like, oh my gosh, they're going to be really, really hard. I was never anti-children. I always knew we would have a family. We went into marriage agreeing on that, but we didn't know how or what that was going to mean. And I've dealt with a lot of you know, chronic pain and joint injuries. So that was a big part of it. It's, it's not so black and white. I can't just say culture had me fooled or it's just because of my chronic pain. But looking back, I can see that there were, there were layers to that. And, you know, it's really interesting because once again, I feel kind of split part of me, 100% agrees with you. What you said about, you know, as you get older, obviously there's no guarantees. Women are born with a certain set, a certain amount of eggs, and they obviously go down in quality as you get older. But on the flip side, there's part of me that feels like there's, this is a little extreme, Abby, but whatever, I'm going to say it. There's part of me that feels like the whole geriatric pregnancy thing is also a little bit of a psyop, if that's the way to put it. Oh, no. I, to be clear, (laughs) I kind of agree with you, Uh, but continue. Tell me (laughs) more. Yeah, I was just going to say, because I feel like culture tells women, wait, 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 don't, don't do it yet. They'll ruin your life or they'll drag you down or they're going to make things hard. And then women are like, okay. I'm ready to have a baby. And they're like, great, you're too old. And they start telling you things that like get in your head. And what I'm starting to find talking to different doctors um, and also having friends from around the world is that there's a lot of places where it's like, that's not the case where women will just like keep having babies 
until they're not able to anymore. You know, it's like we ovulate for a lot longer than most women are like typically having children, at least here in the US. So there's very much, I have two, two thoughts of that. Like I said, part of me is like, oh man, I have a few friends that are in their young twenties right now that want like lots of kids. And it's like, I could easily get in that headspace of being a little jealous or why didn't I do that? But then I pause and I think about what we said that we don't really have, we don't have control. Control is an illusion. And even though those were our choices, life is also more complex. And I just kind of have this feeling of like, I'm where I'm at. I'm grateful for my husband. I'm also not out of my fertility yet. And I think there's a lot you can do health-wise, obviously, to improve your egg quality. That went 12 directions. You were going to chime in about the geriatric thing. No, I actually, I was just going to say, I 100% agree with you on that. And I think that what I, what I, all I mean, and when I say like, we shouldn't put off, I don't think we should put off any of the things that are important to us until something else is resolved, right? So like, yes. oh, my, my. My career is now at the point I'm comfortable at. So now I'll start dating. Well, how do you know that you're going to meet the person that you want to marry when at that point? Why can't yes. we just be open-minded yeah. to meeting the right person at maybe a time that isn't ideal or totally. having children at a time that you're like, oh, well, I don't have all of my funds entirely in place. Yes. You know, just being a little bit more flexible with that stuff mm -hmm. instead of putting in time, putting putting in your life arbitrary timelines that yes. you then have to follow and that don't necessarily help because we're not in control of who we meet, when we meet them, how our fertility is going to look when we have kids. That's so, exactly it. Yeah. Now yeah. I'm sitting here like caring for my health and just hoping that the Lord has more babies for us. And now part of it is like, people can be infertile in their twenties too. So there is kind of this head trip of like, Hey, don't get too caught in your head. But there is also, like you said, the reality element of like, well, but I am 35 and it's like in, in, depending on what the Lord has for me, I could have quite a few years of fertility ahead of me and we could grow our family quite a bit, but also like we just said, there's science. That's the way we want to put it in the reality. And of who knows? Age, and who knows? So it's, it's worth keeping in your purview. Um, just as you're walking in life, like not pushing these things off because you really don't know. So yeah. that's kind of my perspective. I think it's, it's sad that the world has gone that direction. Um, and I'm just really grateful to have met my husband and got to spend and, and have gotten to spend all these years with him. I'm grateful. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's an incredible thing. So I want to do a hard pivot. Okay. Okay. Hard pivot. I'm ready. Hard pivot to a totally different topic, which is being canceled. So mm. You were canceled in what year was it? Was it 2020? One, yeah, yeah, 2021. 2021. Mm -hmm. um, and the internet came after you after you spoke out about having, I'm um, just for the followers who don't know. Yeah, yeah, totally. You, you, I mean, you can totally clarify it, but you put down your dog after he attacked your son, mm -hmm. um, after the dog attacked your son, and you were heartbroken about it. I watched that video and you were really upset that you had to do it, but it, it was the only option. Yeah. And the internet, totally went wild about it. So mm -hmm. I know how awful it was for you. We talked about it at the time. Yeah. So I want to know, how did you handle that level of like vitriol being thrown in your direction? How did you come back from that? How did you yeah. recover? Because I mean, you have beautifully. And I saw you literally through the process. I saw you go from, you know, the, everything has fallen apart to where you are now, which is really yeah. great. 
Well, thank you. Um, you know, a lot of people played parts in that recovery and you were one of the people that played a part in that recovery. And I mean that, you know, yeah, I mean, but it's, but it's true. You were one of the characters. I remember like talking to you after everything happened and you really calmed me down, um, in terms of like what these people are actually going to do. You really calmed me down when we talked through the reality of that. Um, but yeah, backing up, like you said, um, our dog bit our son in the face and the whole thing was really horrifying from like every single aspect. I mean, we loved Bowser so much. Um, he was our dog for 10 and a half years. Dan, Dan, I say Dan, it was really us, both of us, but it was Dan, like picked him out when he was a baby, baby puppy. We raised Ra Bowser from being a baby. Um, you know, they're, I'm trying to even think which way to go on this to not give like a two hour monologue about the whole thing because it was totally life changing. Um, you know, we had been on the internet. Well, now we've been on the internet for 13 years. At that time, it was about 11 years, 10 and a half years. So pretty much about the, the time that Bowser was alive, which is why we told the internet um, because we had documented Bowser's life pretty much from the beginning, you know, in our home. And when it all unfolded, I really felt like I had to be honest and, and to be honest, it didn't occur to me that people were even going to be mad at us. And I think the reason it didn't occur to me was because um, we had gone through all of the steps with the professionals and talked through everything. That's never, when it originally went down, we had planned on rehoming him. That's a whole other thing. And then we were walked through the whole process and realized, okay, that's not an option. Um, and so that's honestly the big, biggest reason it never occurred to me that people were going to be upset because once the professionals had walked us through it. It was like, oh, this is our, this is our only choice. The whole thing was so sad. And then after it all went down and we got on the internet and said, okay, we got to tell people what happened. Um, it was like a double whammy. I mean, talk about the definition of being kicked when you're down. Like we were so depressed. Um, I also realized from all of that, I mean, I learned so many lessons from that whole cancellation, Abby, the lessons are still flooding in, by the way, like every once in a while, I'm like smacked with a new lesson from the whole thing, because it hasn't exactly stopped. Like the, the issue is still kind of there online. Um, but yeah, it was really, really sad. And when it happened, I guess, just to give context for everyone, it really was like a classic cancellation in the sense that like, we, it happened in May. We had sponsorships booked out for the entire rest of the year, like through Christmas, every single one of them pulled within 24 hours. Um, we lost management within that same time frame. We had to let all of our employees go. Uh, we had four people working with us, plus my husband who, who was technically an employee of the company. Um, cause that was how we were running things after that long on the internet, we had actually set it up into a company. Um, and it was very, it was fast and furious. Like people's rage came fast and hard. And I had never, like I had experienced hate online through like gossip forums, but I had never experienced, you know, like calls from the mainstream media, like, hi, this is inside edition. We'd like to talk to you. I'm like, what? And so I like completely shut down for about three months. Um, you know, we were very frightened with like death threats. I was very new to that too. And that's something you and I specifically talked about. It was yeah. new to me. I was scared. I was like, these people are texting me my address. Like, are they going to show up at my house? You know, you echoed what my husband said. You were just like, uh, no one's coming. You know, that's, right. that's, which is what my husband said the whole time, but it was genuinely frightening for me. Um, so yeah, we moved out of Idaho. We had already, or out of Nashville to Idaho. We had already planned on moving to kind of reunite with my parents because they had left LA uh, like six to seven months earlier, but we were not planning on leaving that soon. We were planning on leaving like in a few months, but when we started getting death threats, um, I kind of had a little bit of like a psycho meltdown 
And my mom was like, you got to get out of here now. So we like our realtor handled the sale of everything. And we just left Nashville, moved into my parents' basement in Idaho and lived there till we found a house. Yeah. So the, the irony of that is we actually ended up, I mean, God is so good. It was astounding to watch this happen. The next door neighbor to my parents um, actually sold us their house. Like after being here for five months and we're house hunting, we're like, what are we going to do? Literally, she walked up to my parents' door and just knocked on the door and said, I want to sell you my house so you can raise your grandson or your son next to your parents. Mm. I know. I We literally were like, what? And that's, like I said, a whole other long story in and of itself, but that's the long story short. So pretty much, I guess to answer your question in terms of like how we rebuilt, it was legitimately just one one week at a time. I mean, in the beginning, the first four months, I cried like every single day, Abby, like most of the day. I've never experienced anything like that in my life where I was just so sad. I just couldn't get out of it. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I've had a, a decade on here, like over right. that. And I've, I've loved it so much. And it just flipped so fast. And as you know, a chunk of that was because, you know, I'm an, I'm an LA YouTuber originally. So I kind of cut my teeth on YouTube with all of the other YouTubers. So, um, there's, you know, there's still a lot of YouTubers that I am friends with, or, you know, that agree with me or that I'm fine with, but there were a lot of YouTubers that like jumped ship when that happened. Like, I don't know her. And then even (laughs) worse than that, there were a lot of YouTubers that made videos about us. And that was a big part of what made it so hard was people that made videos that I was like, yo. I wouldn't have called us friends in the deep sense of the word, but I would have called us friends in the sense of like, I didn't, I didn't have any problems with you. Um, but similar to COVID it's interesting, the timing of everything, um, similar to all the COVID stuff, the stuff that happened with our dog really helped to clarify for me a lot of things in terms of like, who's actually on my team, who's actually a friend. Um, because there were some people that it was like shocking, Abby. I was like, you literally believe them over us. Like, Okay. Um, and then, but then on the flip side, I was just telling some friends last night, it's like the people that disagreed with us were the loudest by far. So, so many people don't even know that like I received more support messages than like I have even been able to go through. So like here I am almost two years later, Abby, I am still, I just got chills because it's regular. I'm still stumbling upon messages that I never saw when everything happened of people being like, I'm I'm horrified. I'm so sorry. And then they'll like write a long message, either explaining something that had happened in their life or to them with like pictures of scars. Like it was just, it was wild because it was so embarrassing in a lot of ways and shameful feeling in some ways because some people were just so mad at us and I felt ashamed, but then simultaneously not because when we repeated the whole thing over and over in our heads, it never came out with a different conclusion. It was the same way every time as to what we would have done, but it just, it was a good lesson, a good lesson. So yeah, backing up one week at a time, one month at a time. Um, and I never wanted to really quit because it felt like, I mean, maybe this is shallow, but it would have felt like they were winning. Like that was a big part of no, it. No, that's not shallow. That makes sense to me. I mean, one of the things that I feel is so clear is that your cancellation was is such a reflection of the time we live in where people will talk about dogs and animals with like the utmost love and protection and can't even do that for unborn babies now i'm not saying that that has to be like the big you know 
lesson here, but it it did stand out to me just how much people are willing, like they will cancel another human being for something that they had to do. Not even that you guys wanted to do, but that you had to do and the position you were in when it was in protection of a little child. And in your description, I remember watching your video and it stood out to me. I still remember it. You talking about how your dog would like hurt himself trying to get through your gate yes, and trying Uh to like tear through the ground. And clearly he had some issues that were dangerous for human beings, but apparently that is not what is relevant to the culture we live in where animals are held up on a higher pedestal than human life. That's exactly it. And that was, that was a very straight, I mean, on the flip side, that's why people were very mad at me because they decided to lump in animals and humans and they went, oh, she's pro-life, but she'll kill her dog. And the whole thing, it's just completely different worldviews. You're pretty much right. I'd say across the board, almost a hundred percent of the time, anyone that was angry at me that came at me online, you do like a little bit of Sherlock Holmes. That's not the way to put it, but on their page. And you're (laughs) like, oh, you are pro-abortion. Like it was almost entirely that way, the way that things lined up. Um, And then also another thing that it really showed me about culture was that we as people, for some reason, think that what we see on the screen is the whole picture. And depending yes. on our leaning, maybe in our personality, people will tend to, to assume and see the worst, like whatever is explained. Oh, that's not the truth. They're lying. And I'm going to assume the worst case scenario about this. So that was really a trip too to be like, wow. And then also to reflect in myself, like, am I doing that to people ever? Am I seeing something and being like, oh yeah, I know the whole story and they're crap people or whatever. Right. Like, Man, so many things were assumed about us that were so off base that it just really altered even, I mean, like I just said, my perspective of how I even see the world or news or fake news. Like, geez, once you're lied about in mainstream media, you really see news differently. You're like, wait, so are they not doing their due diligence when they're reporting things? Like, like I'm kidding, but I'm totally not kidding. It was genuinely like a world, like mind trip to be like, what is even going on here? So um, I'm mostly just grateful though. A, I'm grateful to God that my son was okay. I can think back to that same day. And I remember the sound very distinctly in my head of, of Bowser's growl when it happened. And I thought for sure he was going to be way messed up. And the fact that all he had was like one cut was just really, really good. I'm very grateful for that. And I'm mm-hmm. also grateful, like I said, how God has grown me through this because I have realized like, oh, pretty much like, in some ways, yeah, not everybody knows what it's like to get canceled. But in other ways, I'm starting to realize that like everyone and their mother gets canceled. And I'm also starting to realize I've kind of changed my language. And now I'm starting to say, oh, the first time I was canceled. Cause like, I don't want to go through that again, but I'm just assuming if I'm going to stay in the space, there's probably going to be something that will blow up again at some point. And it was painful, but I still feel like this is where God has me right now. And so I'm just praying for wisdom and continuing to heal and trying to remain soft and open um, even after all of this. I mean, there's like a verse that says you want to remain innocent as a dove and like sly as a snake. That is a horrible summation, but it's like you want both. And that's mm-hmm. hard That's hard to, to hold, but that's what I, I want. I want to be wise and shrewd, but I don't want to be cynical and shut down, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because we recently read the book, The Happiness Hypothesis by Jonathan Mm. Haidt for my book club. And in that book, he talks about how it's actually very important for people's happiness to go through really trying times. 
And Mm. when we think of like, you know, our children, we would want to take away anything that would ever hurt them. But at the same time, when you actually ask people who have been through certain things that we would consider, you know, horrifying or really upsetting Mm. or, or anything like that, they usually say something to the effect of, if that hadn't happened to me, I wouldn't have grown or I wouldn't have appreciated my my life the way that it is or I wouldn't have had this new perspective. And so it's it's hard to, to say we are grateful for the things that have happened to us, even the things that aren't good, yeah. but they are, they're, they're just a part of life and in, and in many ways allow us to find an appreciation for life that maybe we wouldn't have had before. Dude. Totally. There's this saying, and I don't, I hope I don't trigger people in the wrong way because I mean lots of different things by this. Um, but you know, take what you want from it. I took what I wanted from it. The saying is God only gives good gifts. And the perspective obviously is that like, there's something good through all of it. And like I said, I don't mean that across the, you know, whatever, take what you want from it. But for me, it was, you know, having that lens shift of like, maybe this was a gift. Like maybe Mm -hmm. there's something to this that I needed and, you know, lessons I needed to learn life circumstances that needed to change all of the above. Um, and so I'm really, really grateful the fact that, that God has renewed my mind or made it over in that sense and continued to help me like shift my perspective and grow from it. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that answered everything. Like I said, I could go on for like 12 hours because that was so life-changing. Yeah. But well, I liked that, that answer. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Abby. <laughs> and last question for this portion of today's episode. I always ask my my guests about femininity because mm-hmm. I talk a lot about embracing femininity here on my channel, on my podcast. So what does embracing femininity look like for you? Ooh, that's good. You know, oh, I hope my answer is not lame. Um, in just like indulging those girlier things that I love and not shutting them down or thinking that they're stupid, you know, mm-hmm. um, even things like getting dressed in the morning. Like if I don't know, sometimes I think it can be easy to get in this pattern, depending on your dynamics and your relationship of like, you know, oh, my husband got, got ready way faster than me, like throw myself together. It's like, Hey, there's no shame. in like me primping a little bit more, like not trying to be vain, but you know what I mean? That's kind of, that's feminine. That's girly, even though I know girly and femininity is a little different, but still, um, that's, that's part of it. Um, and then this, this is something else I've been thinking about a lot the last few years is really cultivating, um, softness because I feel like I spent so long, really whatever. And in some ways I still am. I was going to say being a boss, babe. I know we're all slamming, like <laughs> we're all slamming boss, babe life now. And I'm kind of right there being like, ah, down with the boss, babe. But at the same time, I'm kind of, I mean, I kind of am into it still like whatever, but that mentality can kind of maybe sometimes get you into this. I don't know, harsher, like this is happening at this time. And this is happening at this time. And this is happening at this time. And so I've really tried over the last few years, like you mentioned, slow living to kind of cultivate this vibe of like, Hey, like relax, we have time and like staying softer too. Um, especially, well, not especially with both my son and my husband and just really trying to, I know this is the fourth time I've used the word cultivate third or fourth time, but I love that word softness. Thanks. That, the, (laughs) that part of me that is naturally there, but sometimes gets pushed to the side in order to like take care of other things. I've just tried to let it come out more with my son and my husband. Um, 
but yeah, I don't know. Those are kind of some of the things that femininity means to me. No, totally. I agree. And I think that, you know, I, I do think that there's kind of this movement lately to downplay the appearance part of femininity mm. because it's like, oh, well, to be honest, I think it's because trans women are putting on mm. like a face of makeup. And so a lot of women are pushing back on the fact that that has anything to do with femininity. But I actually disagree. I yeah. think that femininity is, primping is one of my favorite parts of being yeah, feminine yeah. and uh -huh. being a woman. Like I love doing my makeup. I love doing my hair. I think yes. that it is so nice to look in the mirror at the beginning of the day and be like, okay, I'm ready to take on the day. Literally yes. my mom comes in the morning for an hour <laughs> every day <laughs> so that I can exercise for half an hour and so I can get ready for half oh. an hour. Oh, that wow. is our our deal. That's so sweet. <laughs> and it's like the only way for me to feel ready for the day. If I don't yes. do those things, I'm like, oh my God, I don't know what my schedule is. Yeah. I don't know who I am. I don't know where I live. Like, I think that face that you just made might be one of my favorite faces I've ever seen. You are, oh my God. <laughs> I love you that a lot. It's, it's true though. It's relatable. And yes, to what you've said. Exactly. When I get ready, it's like, I do. It's not that I don't feel like myself when I'm not ready. It's that I feel more feminine. That really is what it is. It's like, oh, wow. I feel pretty. Like, and I think yes. feeling pretty is part of feeling feminine, you know, yeah, presenting your best self, or at least a little bit up from what you woke up with, you know, maybe right. it's not your best, but. <laughs> <laughs> and I agree as well on the softness idea something I mm. also talk about a lot. And that just, you know, that is something that we can bring to the world as women. And we build, I think we live in a day and age because, you know, it is such a different time where women are leaving the home earlier so that we can pursue careers because we don't know when we're going to meet the right guy and we need to be able to support ourselves. I don't think that's a bad thing. It's just the world we live in. But yeah. what that also means is that we build up barriers all the time to protect yeah. ourselves from rejection from men, rejection from jobs, being in unsafe areas and trying to navigate that. And all of that can really wear away at that feminine softness that we can cultivate um, at home and also in our workplaces and, and wherever it is so that we can bring that nurturing nature to the world. Yeah. That's a really good way to put it. It almost becomes like, like an honor or like, or not an honor. What's the word armor. That's the word or like a protection armor. mechanism just to like make your way through this modern world. Um, but yes, cultivating that softness, I think is so needed and it feels really right to just be like, to be able to be that soft, loving, doting figure for my son. It's like, I'm his mom. I want to be that, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah. Well, I love it. So this was great. Now let's get into today's faith talk. So this week's Torah portion or the Parsha is Vayakel Pekude, which means, and they gathered, and he gathered amounts of right? So it's kind of a funny, it's actually two different words from two different segments and two different verses, but that's mm. what the, what the segment is called. So here's the summary of the Torah portion from Chabad's website. Moses assembles the people of Israel and reiterates to them the commandment to observe the Sabbath. He then conveys God's instructions regarding the making of the tabernacle. The people donate the required materials in abundance, bringing gold and silver and copper and all of these incredible things. But Moses has to tell them to stop giving. At some point, they're just like, oh, so everything we own? And Moses is like, relax a little bit. <laughs> you, you, no more. It's cool. <laughs> uh, a team of wise-hearted artisans make the, the tabernacle and its furnishings, including the basin and its pedestal. 
Keep that in mind because that's what we're going to talk about today. Made out of copper mirrors. And the rest of the Parsha, the rest of the Torah portion, talks a little bit about the accounting of what was donated and all of the different things that were built and um, initiating Aaron and his sons into the priesthood. So let's get back to the basin, okay? So the basin outside of the tabernacle where people washed before entering is described in this verse. And he made the washstand of copper and its base of copper from the mirrors of the women who had set up the legions who congregated at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So here's the question. Why would God use mirrors, a tool of vanity, to create the basin that the Israelites used before entering the holiest of places. Wouldn't mm. you think that that's just so base, like something that shouldn't mm. be used as something holy uh, mm. before going somewhere so elevated? It just seems almost crazy that they would use these mirrors. Mm. And Rashi, the foremost commentator of the Torah, answers this question in the most beautiful way. I'm obsessed with this explanation. I'm so excited I'm getting to talk about it on today's episode. So cool. he tells us that Moses asked this very same question. The women <laughs> wanted to contribute to the donations for the tabernacle, but what they had were their mirrors. So they brought them and Moses initially rejected them saying, this is nothing but tools of temptation. We don't, we don't want this for the tabernacle. But God corrected him. God said, these mirrors are more precious to me than anything else that's been donated. Isn't that crazy? So why is that? Yeah. Because the women used these mirrors to seduce their husbands when they were in Egypt. When the men were too tired, mm. the women would make themselves up and bring their husbands to them so that they could conceive more children, even in the darkest of places and times. Wow. So when it says in the verse, the mirror of the women who had set up the legions, what does that mean? It means mothers. Mm. It means women who seduced their husbands and bore their children so that that would allow the Jewish nation and the Israelites to continue. Mm. And the fact that they made themselves beautiful for their husbands was a beautiful thing in God's eyes. God didn't mm. think of that as gross or <laughs> yeah. not appropriate. He thought of that as the most important thing because cohabitation between husband and wife and having more children and raising them was yeah. so important to him. So how do you think, Nikki, that this applies to us today? The idea that, you know, this is actually a beautiful thing that women can do. And it kind of relates back to what we were just talking about. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I'm going to have a deep enough response to that. I mean, hearing you read through all that, I'm just like, yes, this is so good, but I'll give my thoughts back to it. But I'm yes, like, oh, this might not be as deep. Um, I, I feel like like God makes it evident over and over in the Bible that he loves beauty and that he created it. And I feel like mm. we're living in a, in a time. And I don't know, because I know sin nature and human nature, like it just, it goes back, but this is what I know in this time period. And it feels like we're living in a time that is dis distorting beauty, obviously, and um, tearing down beauty in a lot of ways. Like, I feel like we're seeing that not only in people's physical appearances, um, in the destruction of, you know, relationships and marriage in architecture. Like, I feel like we're just seeing it kind of across the board. Um, and I just feel like beauty is really important. And sometimes I think that, that women want to shut down their beauty, whether it's a, a trauma response or they don't actually think they're pretty enough to even like put the effort in or they're dealing with some kind of like just emotional heaviness in general. 
but I think that, you know, that shows again, that, that God loves beauty and that he loves when a wife is willing to present and share and unveil her beauty for her husband. And I think it's not only for the husband, I think it's also for the woman. I think women, I, I do, I love to be doted on. I love to be told, but like every time my husband will just throw out a random out of nowhere, sporadic, organic, you look so beautiful. I literally will like flip around and I'm like, really? Thank you. (laughs) Like it, it feels so good. And so I don't know. I just see that as yet again, another like check, like affirmation from the Lord that like present yourself to your husband. This is a good thing. Um, Mm -hmm. and delighting in that lovemaking and that connection that only happens between you and your husband is good. And the beauty is it adds to it. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm not chiming in with anything deep, but that those. No, I think that is deep. And I think that there's so much about, you know, I think there's, there's so many layers to this that I'm like Mm. trying to catch all the different ones, but the idea that, you know, women kind of on what you were saying, women love to be doted on. I've heard the idea that women want, need to be adored and Mm, men need to be respected. And Mm. that's not to say that that doesn't flip you know, you need yeah, both, yeah. right? Yeah. But there is something really wonderful as a wife at, to being cherished and knowing that your husband cherishes you. And so the idea that women are doing themselves up to seduce their husbands, I love the idea from you, what you're saying that it's not just for their husbands, yeah. but I mean, there's something unique. And I don't know if this is true for you, but there's something yeah. unique for me when and and actually you know what i'm going to say this is probably pretty common because mm. you see it in films right and in movies the idea that when a woman puts in just a little bit of effort to look beautiful yes. when she you know walks into the room cuz they're going to the prom or she walks into the room cuz they're going to the ball and the guy kind of does a double take because wow it's there's something unique about that response because you mm. know that you put in just a little bit more effort for yourself yes. that then gets elicits a response from your spouse or from the guy that you're interested in. And that, again, God is showing us that that's not a bad thing, that there is a a goodness to physicality when it's used in its right place. Yes. I I feel like too, so there's this pastor that I follow up here in Idaho and he got in a lot of trouble online for basically making a post that was encouraging women to take care of themselves kind of for their husband, but just in general. And he's, he worded the statement in a way, like I said, that really made people mad. Something along the lines of like, show people how well your husband loves you by like taking care of yourself. And, you know, I feel like I was able to see through the the angry parts that people had. And I was like, I totally get this. We don't have to be supermodels. It's not about us looking perfect. It really is like, oh, do I give this like, I'll, I'll, I'll make it PG. My husband loves me whether I'm done up or not. Like he mm-hmm. loves me and he is enthralled with me, but there is something about just a little bit of effort. Like it's noticed it's, it's, it adds to it. And so I think sometimes I feel like women will get confused with this sentiment of like, what? So like, like I'm a mom, I'm tired. I'm supposed to be a supermodel. It's like, no, no, no. You're not supposed to be a supermodel. But, you know, we could brush our hair every once in a while. Like, <laughs> and I'm not trying to lower the bar so much either, you know, to where it's like, come on, we try a little hard on that. But there is this element of like, just keep going, just a little more effort, like just keep going. Um, well, and the really- truth is that like we as women take 
I think it's 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 unrealistic that on either side we would want our spouse to be to just give up, right? Like yes, as yes. a woman, I it, my husband knows he has <laughs> he has a beard, and yeah. when he lets his beard go about three weeks before he gets a trim, he knows I'm like. No, not into I don't it. like it. This isn't my thing. <laughs> yeah. I, not my favorite. He knows yeah. that that's the, the case. And sometimes, yeah. you know, he'll he'll let it grow a little longer because it's just hard to make time to go get a beard trim. But he knows totally. as soon as he gets it, I'm like, I love yeah. it. You look yeah, great. exactly. Exactly. It goes and both it's, ways. Exactly. And it's I think that it is, you know, I have a lot of thoughts on this topic, but I think it really is important for both for both sides to keep themselves attractive. And again, that doesn't mean, like you said, looking like a supermodel, but it means putting in effort, taking care of your body, putting in just a little bit more time to look attractive to your spouse. Because the whole point of getting married is that you and your spouse are only for one another. And if that's yes. the case, like it's it's a kindness yes. to make the person you've dedicated your life to uh, uh-huh. feel excited to look at you. Like yes. that's a really beautiful thing. It's a gift that you're sharing with your spouse, uh-huh. both people. Yes. And like, you want them to look at you like, okay, yes. I'm putting on this effort and I, I want it. It's, I'm not just willing to get dressed up for a night with the girls or just willing to get dressed up to go to work. It's like, I'm willing to just get dressed up to live and like dressed up. Like I said, the spectrum, right? I walked right. into the bathroom the other day and I was like, Oh, looking rough <laughs> and tired. I was feeling rough and tired, but I spent 30 seconds to reclip my hair. And I put on a little bit of blush. Cause I felt like I looked just a little <laughs> be mean to myself I need a little color and yeah. in it must have been 20 to 30 seconds and I walked out feeling different I felt like okay I look I look more I don't want to say presentable but you get my gist it was like I just felt better about myself yeah and I always say that it's actually I actually wrote a whole article about this way back in the day the idea that it's actually not the best to have if you are in a bad mood to have your outer self reflect that. So like a couple of days ago, I was feeling really tired, really down. I hadn't had a good Mm. night's sleep. I Mm. looked in the mirror. I had like not washed my eye makeup well. So I had like the raccoon eyes. I got my hair up in like a a messy bun. I was wearing (laughs) disgusting clothes and I was like, this is not helping my self-esteem right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is adding to the negative feelings that I yes. have. <laughs> right, right. And there's something very like special about if I had just done what you did, which was to maybe wash off my face, yeah, throw yeah. my hair up in a ponytail, and maybe just throw on a little bit of blush, I could have been yeah. like, you know what? My the the world isn't as bad as it seems. Yes. And I'm not as bad as I look right now. <laughs> Yes. And like, I didn't feel amazing afterwards. It wasn't like, wow, look at me. I'm ready to walk the runway. But it really was like, it took the edge off of just those feelings that I had when I looked in the mirror. I was like, oh gosh. And it just like, you know, calmed it all down a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So now let's get into our premium subscriber questions. If you would like to submit questions for podcast episodes just like this, make sure to head over to my Substack newsletter where you'll get access to a ton of exclusive content, including my book club and a bunch of other really great things. So let's get into the first question, which is what's the hardest aspect of having a YouTube channel? Ooh, you know (laughs) Uh, that's changed over the years. It's been a different answer at different times, you know? So like a few years ago, I would have probably said keeping up my YouTube channel while trying to build this whole other production company I was working on. So it was a different beast back then. It was like, how do I keep all that content up? 
Um, now I would say it's two different things. One, yes, continuing to produce content. Um, like I said, not to be too much of a Debbie Downer, but my whole workflow totally changed after going through the cancellation. So that's actually been part of the juggle as well now. Like I had a full-time editor before. And so now, I mean, I started YouTube, obviously editing on my own and editing is something on a side note that I'm super passionate about. Um, but it's time consuming. And so figuring out kind of going back to this position of like juggling most of my projects on my own, like getting them up and getting them out while figuring out how to do the whole motherhood thing. Like, even though my son is three and maybe I should have it together more than I do, <laughs> I feel like I'm still figuring it out. A, because he's kid number one. B, I can't even believe it's been three years. Like I had him in January, 2020. Um, so right at the beginning of the pandemic and everything kind of went crazy for us. Like our church shut down, like everything was just wild. So I feel like in some ways I'm still kind of getting my footing with the whole parenting thing. Um, and being a mom is like up there ahead of my YouTuber, you know, role or whatever, but being a YouTuber or content creator, whatever we want to call me is super important to me as well. So that's probably been one of the hardest things is figuring out how to juggle it. And then the other thing, which is shorter. And we already talked about was figuring out how to take people's feedback. Like I've never wanted to just lump everyone in as like, Oh, they're just a hater. Bye. Right. Because <laughs> I want to learn. I want to continue to grow. And I want, honestly, my content creation as well as my communication to just get better as time goes on. So, but also not, not like not throwing it all out. Oh, they're just haters by, but also not clinging on to all these people's words because ultimately they don't know me. You know, there's that phrase, like you could be the sweetest peach and like someone still hates peaches. So <laughs> navigating which comments actually matter, which ones to hold on to, which ones to release has also been a little bit of like a, a learning curve, especially in the last couple of years as things kind of changed. Um, yeah. So yeah, those are my answers. To be honest, the first one I totally relate to. And, mm. and I don't think that it's weird to think that like, oh, your son is three. So you figured it out because I'm realizing every stage is different. So you're constantly totally. having to shift the goalposts. <laughs> you're just exactly. like, oh, I totally get it. Like he's, we've been doing the same thing for two weeks and now we're totally on a schedule and a routine yeah. and it's great. And then everything <laughs> changes the next day. And you're like, never mind. Glad I enjoyed it for that amount of time. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, oh, hi, new person. Where'd you come right. from? Right. So I don't think that that, that, that makes sense to me. Like fair enough. <laughs> Thanks, Abby. Thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> cool. So as a Christian, here's the next question. As a okay. Christian, what does the gospel look like in your marriage and in motherhood? Oh man, forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. So for, for me, um, just the gospel message in general is one of, uh, forgiveness and love, like kind of running hand in hand. And I feel like that's really, especially with my marriage, like Logan just got here. Not that I haven't experienced that with him over the last three years. And it's definitely like, He's growing up. So I'm feeling it more, you know, like he's three now I'm seeing the forgiveness thing really need to come. It's like, that made me really mad. Um, but that's really, that's really what it, what it is. You know, I, I think a lot about like, are you going to forgive? Because Jesus said, we're supposed to forgive seven times 70, like on and on and on and on and on. And you know, that's not in the, obviously if we're referring to other things, you're not trying to be stupid and put yourself in bad positions, but in regards to my husband who loves me deeply and has 
tried to do nothing but improve upon his character and become more sanctified and hopefully more like Christ, I think I need to extend forgiveness. You know what I mean? And when you live with someone for so long, you just, this weird combination of like, you also start to notice more. It almost like you, there's more things for you to forgive because you know them more intimately. And so you see little things and it's like, dude, how do I stay in that position of, of not judging him? And then also choosing to forgive him when he comes to me and says, Hey, I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't hit that mark. Like, that's a weird way to put it. That sounds ultra specific, but like what you had hoped that I had, I would do or how I would handle this. Um, will you forgive me? It's like, I have to step up and actually forgive, not just, uh, you know, whatever. It's like, I need to, I need to reconcile this relationship and step back into fellowship um, is one way to put it. So that's really what it means for me. And with my son, like I said, it's the same thing, forgiveness and love. Um, It's a little different with him because obviously like, I'm not trying to introduce the gospel to my husband. Like we're on the same page, but with my son, I mean, you know, it's interesting in introducing a human to faith um, and sharing what that really means and and prayer. And yeah, yeah. I feel like every time I start to answer a question, I'm not quite sure where to end. So then I just keep like, <laughs> but <laughs> to that's, be fair, that's I get it because I think that that's it. it these are questions that are open-ended in a sense. Yeah, yeah. And so it is difficult to say like, okay, well, there's a lot I want to say about this, but here's a hard stop. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I think. And they're deep think, questions. So it's like, okay, how do I. Yeah, I have the best deepness? subscribers. I'm very lucky yeah. that they give such good questions. That's so but, cool. Um, <laughs> I think that that's a really beautiful thing to incorporate into your life. And I think it's something that we're constantly, I mean, it's a struggle you know, for everybody to to constantly be living with someone that you love and adore and forgive them for all the little things that they do. Like, it's yeah. just that's the challenge of marriage that that makes marriage so worth it is that we do do those things that we can you know bother one another and annoy one another and then at the same time turn around and say yeah but you are the only person I want to commit my life to yes and and you know, oh, I don't know if this is bad to say, but someone sent me a clip of a video the other day or not a clip. They sent me the whole video and I watched the whole thing. And it's a, it's a content creator that went through a full on cancellation just shortly before we went through ours. And it really, um, refocused my perspective on everything in a totally different way because her and her husband ended up getting divorced And it really flashed me back. Abby, I have, I told you, I've been married to Dan for 15 years. The hardest year of our marriage the whole time was year one. The second Mm -hmm. hardest year of our whole marriage was the year of the cancellation. And so even thinking about like, how does the gospel play into my marriage and this element of forgiveness, I don't want to say, I think it gets harder as you get older. Cause I think maybe some things, you know, like you get closer, you, your relationship goes deeper, but I think that because the longer you're alive, you're just going to experience more heartache and more like just more happens, right? People die, people get sick. Um, I think in that sense, maybe it can get, it can get harder because you're stretched and forced to go even, even deeper in your relationship as you go through those things. So I just left our cancellation also feeling extremely grateful about that on a side note yeah. that that yeah. our marriage was made stronger and that we didn't, we didn't crumble under that because I, I can totally understand how and why people could crumble under that. Yeah. Yeah. So 
I don't know if this is going to be your answer. So I'm yeah. curious, but uh, do you, did you ever come to a major crossroads in your life? Mm. And if so, what did you choose? Yeah. Um, interesting. I could give like four different answers, right? Right. Getting, I feel getting... like there's so many things yes. that we come to a crossroads where I'm like, yes. this was Which the one? time I made a big decision. <laughs> exactly. I mean, having my son was a crossroads, like getting married to Dan at 20 was a crossroads. Um, going to Singapore was a crossroads. Leaving California, I would say was a really big one. Um, because for me, that was, that was, I mean, that was so many things, including choosing to believe that we could, we could leave California and build a different life and keep doing things that we, we loved. Um, whoops, someone's calling me decline. Sorry. I thought I had that on airplane mode. Um, yeah, that was, that was probably one of the bigger crossroads, I guess, that we haven't talked about in recent time was going oh my God, she's calling back decline, turning you on airplane mode now officially was going to Nashville was leaving California because I had been running a production company at the time. And I just really started to feel like that was not what we were supposed to be doing. And it became heavier and heavier and heavier. And one thing led to the next, that's a whole other long story, but it was actually one of the few I've had three moments in my life where I felt like God was speaking to me. That's the only way I know how to put it. One was in regards to my husband that he basically, God said to me, he's my gift to you. It's a whole long thing. I'm trying to summarize it. The second one was in regards to YouTube. And the third one was in regards to moving to Nashville. And so it felt like obviously a huge deal. It was, it was very life-changing to leave the California YouTube grind and leave to a state that was slower um, not so much focused around the money hustle, uh, but then still diving back in and being like, okay, I'm not running this production company. What do I want to make now? So that was probably one of the bigger turns because that really switched. That was also a big crossroads or a, a turning point for me in terms of like how I saw the world in a lot of ways. Like that's where I started realizing I wanted kids. That's where I started realizing like, Hey, I want to live a slower life than the one I was living before. Um, yeah, I could keep going, yeah. but that's the gist. Yeah, no, I mean, cross. There are so many times we come to crossroads in our life that mm. you don't even real like you. There's there are times where you come to a crossroads where you're very aware that it's a crossroad, and then there are yeah. times where you are kind of not aware until afterwards that you made a choice. Yeah, and it seems like this was a situation where you were very aware that it was a crossroads, and you had to make a decision that you were that that clearly turned out. I mean, well for you, given where you are now. <laughs> yeah. You know, and people have asked me before, like, well, I thought God told you to go to Nashville. Like, why are you in Idaho? And I've said to people like, dude, I mean, first off, I like to use the phrase, I felt like God was talking to me, but it was one of only three times. I'm not throwing this around often, but second off, I don't know that just because you feel like a calling from the Lord in your life, that that means like, this is what you're doing forever. Like right. that was clearly the next step for us. And Nashville radically changed my worldview or maybe, maybe honed it in more. That's a better way to put it. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm so great. I'm so grateful for my time there and, and what he taught me through just exiting Los Angeles. Yeah. So I think we're going to do one more question. Cool. So what, where do you see yourself and what do you see yourself doing in 10, 15, 20 years? Oh, Abby. Um, <laughs> well, I think I'm, unless God has other plans for me, I think I'm always going to be some semblance of like a creator, 
I know that that's mm-hmm. really vague. Um, I'm actually currently working and I can't believe this. I was sitting at the computer yesterday and I'm like, Dan, do you know how long this has been in the making? Like I can flash back to myself in sixth grade when my mom took me out to homeschool me out of school. And when I got home, I was so excited to like be able to make my own lunches And I just fell even deeper in love with cooking. And so point being, I'm working on a cookbook right now. And I was sitting- Oh, I'm excited. I know. I'm very excited. (laughs) I'm like embracing it more and more. I'm like, Nikki, you've now been working on this for like five months. Like it's time to start (laughs) embracing that you're working on a cookbook. I'd be like, Mm -hmm. I'm building a little thing with like some recipes. It's like, no, I'm doing it. And so I'm really excited about that. And the reason I bring that up is not only because obviously I'm working on it, but is to say- I will probably be some semblance of a creator my whole life. Like I said, unless God has other plans. Um, I mean, we have this in common. I love music and I've learned more and more as years have gone on, like how to actually, well, first off, I've been playing piano more. So I'm becoming more of an actual musician. I'm learning how to record music. Um, yeah, I really don't. I really don't know. I don't know where God's well, going to take me. You know what? That takes me to, you know what? This will be our last, last. Question. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and it's my question. Sometimes yeah, yeah. what happens is I get inspired during our premium subscriber question segment and I have to ask a question of my own. So here that. is my final question for you. And I was thinking about this earlier in the podcast. And so it fits in perfectly here because I think it's such an interesting thing to be a creative and I say be a creative because I, like someone who's in the creative space yeah. and also be conservative because I think most people don't equate those two things. Yeah. How do you feel that those things balance or play off each other or make sense for the people who are like, how can you be a creative and also have, you know, more traditional values or be conservative? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're just wondering like how I think those things kind of hold hands. Yeah. Because I think that so much, if, if somebody, you know, finds out that I'm an opera singer before they know anything else about me, they're going to assume I'm on the left. And I mean, that was why that was part of the reason that I couldn't be openly conservative. So I think it's always interesting to meet other people who are creative and not just YouTubers, but people who are creative, like you'd make music and you cook and you do all these things that are such creative endeavors. How does that fit in with kind of conservative values? Do you think that it does? Do you think those influence each other or do you think they're just separate? Yeah. You know, I think they fit in when you have your priorities, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Meaning like, I don't think it necessarily would fit in if I was still living life in LA, working on sets all the time, because just like you said, the environment is tends to be very left-leaning. So it's a different environment to be around in general on like a big professional Hollywood set. Um, Mm -hmm. But also like your your time, like you're just, when you're on set for 14 hours, like it's kind of hard to live out traditional values. You know what I mean? That's true. That's true. I see it as just like, in terms of, I don't know, I've had this conversation with a few people about like the Proverbs 31 woman and how she works, but she's kind of mostly working out of her home. And so mm-hmm. I just see like what I do as that, but my skill set, you know, that's at least proven monetizable and like what I love is artistic leaning endeavors, you know, music and video creation and just all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, this is like, I've been creating professionally to some degree since I was like 14 and it's changed a lot. I'm glad it's changed a lot. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of how I see it. I feel like we live in a really, in some ways in a really unique time and in other ways, not so much, because like I said, I gave the comparison to the Proverbs 31 woman. I think there's always been an element of a woman being able to be creative 
out of her home. Like if she has the time. Um, I love that. It didn't even occur to me until you said it that so much of the, I think so much of the reason people can't equate um, creative endeavors with, you know, traditional values is just the time investment that it takes to reach a certain level of accomplishment. Yes. And that didn't, that never has occurred to me because it's so true. I mean, if you're going to be the best opera singer, if you're going to be the best, I don't know, whatever else it is, you have to be completely and entirely dedicated to the detriment of everything else. But that doesn't mean that you can't be creative and prioritize the right things. It just means that maybe what that creative endeavor is going to look like is a little bit different. Yes, exactly. And like, I think there's also an element sometimes of like redefining success. Like, okay, what is, what does success mean to me? Not only within the confines of like my family and my relationships and the community that I'm building, but even in terms of my art, because yeah, you're right. You're going to get different results for like different, I don't know, amount of time that you've put in different crowds that you're running in. Um, but I just, I think, yeah, I know a lot of creative women up here that are, are stay at home moms, but they're still creating something, whether it's like they're doing photography or I have a friend, um, that has like an online business, you know, it's just, it depends. Sorry. My thoughts kind of trailed there, but that's the, that's the gist of how I feel that like, it's totally possible. It just depends on your priorities. And the cool thing about, ugh, I don't want to use this phrase, but we're going to say it conservative <laughs> art, right? Right. Is that the the artist is obviously always creating art like from their worldview. And I think that there's something beautiful and so cool and desperately needed for people who have these more traditional worldviews to share how they see things, share the art that they're creating. Um, because I think that that's also part of how culture changes as well, like through art and through people being able to visualize things and see it. And like I mentioned at the beginning, that's part of what I love about making my videos is like showing people the beauty that I'm experiencing in not only my everyday life, but even in like just motherhood and creating a home. Because like I said, for me, that was not, that was not really what I saw elevated. I saw the opposite, you know, girl boss, kids are too hard to handle. You're going to be throwing your life away. And so if I can share with people like the unexpected beauty that I've experienced and the gift of my husband and getting to take care of my son at my home and at my home, in my home, that's worded weird, but you get it. Um, it's just a gift. And I'm, I'm so grateful that the internet allows us to like get our art out there. I'm just, I'm really grateful. Well, I think that is a perfect place to stop. I love everything that we talked about today. It was so great having you on. So tell everyone where they can find you because I want to make sure that my subscribers can follow you and figure out where, where you're, where you're at. At. Thanks, Abby. Well, my, (laughs) my husband was smarter than me when I started YouTube. I wanted to come up with like a fun username. Like we always joke like sparkly butterfly 26 or whatever. And he was like, no, just use your name. (laughs) So anywhere on the internet. I mean, we had like a full on thing too. I was like, Dan, it's gotta be cool. He was like, this is ridiculous. So you can look me up online, Nikki Philippi. It's just N I K K I. And then Philippi is with a P H I. Um, and that's my name all over the internet, Instagram, YouTube, pretty much the main spots I'm there. Perfect. So and everyone Abby, go give Nikki a follow. <laughs> thanks guys. And I'm hoping to have Abby on my channel soon too. So you guys will have to keep a lookout for that because this has been all in the works for a while and I'm just pumped we're moving forward on it. 
Yeah, me too. I can't wait for that. That's going to be awesome. So make sure to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. And I would love if you would leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps me out. Thank you all so much for listening and I'll see you in my next episode. Bye.